Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Big welcome to you all, and uh, great to see so many of you back. Uh, it's been really busy. We had seven services over the Christmas week. Many amazing things happened during that week. It's just been brilliant. The place has been really full, and good to see some of you back from being away. So welcome back, and also a big hello to, to those who are looking online with Facebook Live. You know, we have people in New York who watch us regularly, and, and I found out after the first service, we have a whole connect. To, uh, point down in, uh, in Australia, uh, where where they're tracking our services. I mean, I, I heard it's incredible. I just they were telling me what was going on in our church from Australia. So that's incredible, isn't it? So welcome to the Facebook Live viewers. Um, it's going to be good today because we're we're tackling this subject of what it means to be transformed, and transformation is something that's created by God. We're the only people, well, people are the only creatures in creation that can be transformed. You know that. There's no other creature that has the ability to be transformed the way God has made us to be transformed. So God has created you with the capacity to be transformed. And sometimes as human beings, we just think, well, we're in the rat race. We're in, you know, life is just busy and there's, you know, work next week. If you've not got back to work yet, um, it's just the same old, same old. No, 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 no. God has made you with a capacity unlike any other living creature to be transformed. You've got it. It's built into who you are. And so many people never really discover that. And so today we're going to be talking about really introducing this series, which is going to run for a a number of weeks uh, on what it means to be transformed. And much of this will be very practical because practical stuff helps us to really get involved. Today's a kind of introduction, but also laying down this principle of what it means to be transformed. We've been designed to be transformed. That's how you've been designed. You've got that special something in you that has got that capacity to be transformed by God. And some, of, some people in life say, oh, that couldn't, can't be me. You know, you don't know my situation. You don't know how tough it is. You don't know my work situation. You don't know my relationship situation. You don't know my husband or my wife. You don't know my health situation. God's never going to transform me. That's not true. It's not true at all. Biblically, God has created you with that capacity to be transformed by Him. That's a unique gift given to human beings that we can be transformed and we're going to explore it. We're designed for it. Don't neglect what that means. Rick Warren, who's a guy I have met and I've spoken to him, I, I, thank, I think Rick is an amazing guy. He gets some flack sometimes, but he says this, I want to change my circumstances, but God wants to change me. Right? I want to change everything else. I want to change that husband, that wife. I want to change that boss. I want to change that job. I want to change that bad situation. I want to change that good situation. I want to change everything. But God actually wants to change me. Because if we're transformed, something supernatural happens. A transformation by God on the inside transforms everything on the outside. And we'll explore that this morning. So our BCC vision, there are many people here who've not been before or maybe haven't heard this. So I'll just repeat it. Our vision at the church here is to bring growing kingdom influence and transformation to every area of our lives, community and beyond. 
So transformation is important. We need to start to get to grips with what that means. There's something in this word, transformation, that's not just our word. It's a change word. It's a word that can bring life. It can bring trans- transformation to every area of our lives, community and beyond. Our underlying principle in our church is that we will be disciples who reproduce disciples. And it's important that we ask ourselves, have we been making disciples this year? In 2019, did we make a disciple? Did we bring anybody into the journey of discipleship? Because after all, the Great Commission is that we should go into all the world and make disciples. It doesn't say go into all the world and just have a cosy huddle, sing your favorite songs and you know, make hot chocolate. It doesn't say that. It says make disciples. So we ought to ask ourselves the question, have we made disciples in this last year? As we go into 2020, it's the dawn of a new decade. It's the dawn of a new year. But in this decade, could we set ourselves just the the challenge personally to make a disciple this year? Is there someone in my world I could make a disciple of? Is there someone I work with? Has God given me access to somebody? You know, I prayed a prayer. I was telling Brian, I went, here's me, I'm saying, don't tell anybody, Brian, but anyway, I'm going to tell everybody. Um, I was praying before Christmas. There was a situation, I can't go, sorry, I can't go into all the details, but I was just praying, God, God, I just, I want to get hold of this person because I knew there was a bit of restoration in their world connected to something that goes back 30 years and I found out about it and I just thought, God, is it possible that you might want to use me to help restore? And I, I, didn't know. I just, I just thought, well, let's just explore that. So I made contact. I tried to get phone numbers. Nothing worked. I spoke to someone else. That I knew. Nothing seemed to work. I said, well, God, if you want me to make a difference, if you want me to be part of this conversation, then, then make something happen. I can't do any more. I've done all I can do. And on Friday, I was walking up the high street. I had to get something at the Smith's post office. Came out of the post office, walking down the high street, and I walked straight into the person that I was, had had on my heart straight into that person. I'm telling you, I haven't seen them for 10 years. And that person said to me, I haven't stepped foot in Bromley for four years. This is more than a coincidence. And I thought, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? But you see, God wants us to just transform everything. But not, not because we're trying to change everything, but because we're letting him change us on the inside. That's what's going on here. And our disciples reaching, um, reproducing disciples. Reproduction is important in church life. You know, I've worked out. I discovered this morning after the first service, there's another engagement. There's now four engagements going on right now in the church, which is awesome. And uh, anyway, one or two aren't public, so I better go easy on that. But, um, um, but you know, we also have values in our, in our church. What, do we, what are our values? And our values really about drawing close to God and, and helping people, really, living kingdom lives. But 2020, the dawn of a new decade. Could we get God's vision for this decade? Not just our vision, but God's vision for us. What is it God wants to shift? Does he want the same decade you had in the, the, the 2010s? Did you want a repeat of the 2010s? Some, some things were good, not everything was good. This means it's just tough years, haven't they? I don't want to go over the negative stuff, but we want a 2020 decade that really could see transformation happen in our lives and our community and beyond. So that's our heart and our vision here. I'm going to talk to you a bit about transformation, about some principles about it from the Word of God, because transformation is God's plan. It's His plan. It's not my plan. It's not the Prime Minister's plan. It's my plan. Sorry, not my plan. It's not my plan. It's not His plan. It's God's plan. God's plan is to transform 
everything about us. And we start off with 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. It says in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now that's not wacky freedom. That's not the freedom that just means you go do wacky things. It's not freedom to go do silly things. It's not freedom to, to, to just waste your life doing whatever you want to do. It's, it's a freedom that encounters transformation. It's a freedom that allows you to say, no, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to be like that anymore. I don't have to be what you describe me as. I don't have to be what you have made me. I can be what God wants me to be. I have a freedom to choose my destiny based on my love of God. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And verse 18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of joy, or sorry, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I'm just going to touch that unveiled face comment because this is relating to a passage of Scripture where it talks about Moses. When he encountered God, the glory of God shone on Moses' life, but the people of Israel couldn't cope with that. So he covered his face. They just couldn't cope with it. But that was because he saw God externally. But now God has come to us internally. And God wants to us to be unveiled in who we are, lit up by God on the inside. That glory of God to come into us on the inside. And we all with unveiled face, beholding. That word beholding is actually two things. It's seeing and reflecting the glory of God. It's not only seeing it, but it's reflecting it. It's seeing it and reflecting it. You'll know the references to mirrors in the Scripture. You know, Sometimes we look into a mirror and it's like it's dimly. It's dimly reflecting. But God wants us to see clearly and reflect brightly because of what's going on on the inside. The glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image of God from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. So transformation comes from God Himself. It comes from Him. It comes from Him revealing to us and Transformation is a process. It's a step-by-step journey of change. So can you remember the day you gave your heart to Jesus Christ? Can you remember that day? If you can remember the day when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you didn't, may not have understood it all, but you knew there was a moment when you said, that's me, just raise your hand. If you remember that day, many of you remember that day vividly. I remember that day. I remember where I was. I remember who I was with. I remember what the choir was singing. I was in Wembley Arena in London. It was about 1983. I remember, I remember wrestling. I remember wrestling with God's truth and wrestling as a teenager, thinking, well, if, if, you know, if there is a God, why this? If there is a God, why that? What about this? What about... There were so many things I was wrestling with. But there was a moment when I, in my seat near the back of Wembley Arena, listening to the crowd, so the, the crowd of uh, choir, and hearing a guy giving a story about being an astronaut, being in space and looking back at the, the earth on his way to the moon, talking about, or certainly into space, talking about this little pea, and in all of the universe, that tiny little pea-shaped object has got life on it. And God has put life on that earth. And I remember that, but I don't remember much else. The rest was God working in my heart. All I remember was sitting there with some friends and this conversation came into my head. Would you open the door and let me in? 
Would you put your faith in me? Would you be willing to trust me? And this is, and you may think, well, he's nuts having this conversation. But I wasn't having it with myself. I didn't understand it. But I made that decision at that point. I thought, you know what? In my mind, if there is a God, life's too short not to choose to trust God. In that case, I'm going to choose to let him in. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to try and understand what it means to follow him. That's it. And they said, stand up, come to the front. And I had to stand up, go all the way through the back corridors of Wembley Arena, go down the front. As I stood up, everything changed. It was actually the action of standing that made, it was the decision point. I know this may sound odd to you, but sometimes we think things and we think just because we think it, we've done something about it. But it's more than thinking, it's doing. Faith, the Bible says, without works is dead. It means there's an action attached to faith always. And so the minute I got saved wasn't when I thought about it. It was when I stood up. So I stood up and then walked the long mile (laughs) to the front of... Why do I say this? Because that's the beginning of a journey of transformation. That wasn't transformation. That was the beginning of a journey. And sometimes as we walk in life, our step-by-steps get stuck. They get stuck. And sometimes they get stuck in some really tough stuff. They get stuck in the concrete of life. And you can't get out of it. You're stuck. You don't know how. And then there's an emergency prayer to God. And God still hears those prayers, by the way. And you may be here today in an emergency prayer situation. God, get me out of here. I'm not a celebrity, but get me out of here. And, uh, but, you know, it's part. So transformation is God's plan. And we get stuck. But transformation also implies something. Scripturally, it implies complete change. God's journey of transformation wasn't that day in 1983. That wasn't the end of the story. That was the beginning of the journey. And transformation was going to take place in me in a process of God revealing himself and me responding. That faith turning into action that truly is faith. And so we can look at a piece of Scripture that talks about the complete change of transformation. Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2 in the New Living says, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Interesting, to be alone. (laughs) They weren't alone for very long. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. This is a sophisticated piece of scripture, let me say. You could spend a whole week discussing this. Jesus took Peter. Peter, we're going to talk about Peter later. Took, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. But then something changed. A moment changed. A God moment came into the story. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. He was totally, totally totally changed his appearance changed his face shone like the sun his clothes became his clothes changed it wasn't just what was in him it was everything around him that's a picture of transformation and its full journey by the way because the bible says that when eternity comes and we stand before our maker we come and we'll have new there'll be a new heaven new earth and we will be new in our creation there will be new people new bodies 
The imperfect will be removed and, and there's perfection there. I know some of you think there's perfection here already, but it's not true. <laughs> Messing around. But, you know, and so there's, there's a story of transformation. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared. Of course, we know the law and the prophets are represented in this conversation. And so Peter, James and John were seeing that. But they saw, and then they wanted to make a booth and keep the moment. And so often we do that, don't we, in church life? Oh, it's a great moment. It's great. Let's just keep that moment. Let's not move on. Let's keep it. Let's keep it. Try and preserve that moment. But it's part of a journey. And they got the privilege of seeing it. And that word transformed really means metamorphosis, to totally change. It, it's the transfiguration. It's not just a little bit of me is suddenly going to be a churchgoer. That's not transformation. Being a churchgoer doesn't transform you. It could transform you. But it isn't the transformation. The transformation is the destiny God's plan for you and for me that's going to go on inside of us because that is going to change the world. That's going to change the world. Transformation needs our response. You see, it's in between our ears that the response to transformation gets completely messed up. It gets messed up there. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Those who have been believers for many years will know these scriptures. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listening to Hillsong or Bethel isn't your spiritual service of worship. It's fantastic. The songs are awesome and we sing them here and we love them. But that's not our spiritual service of worship. Transformation is our spiritual service of worship. Do you worship Jesus? Are you allowing him to transform you? Are you allowing him to do the very thing you've been designed for? Are you letting him do it? Or are we allowing the stuff in our frustrations to block our growth? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, transformation uh, gets messed up by the world's pattern. So we've got to unmess ourselves in the world's thinking and realise that actually the world's thinking is, is not going to get you transformed. It's going to get you stuck. It's going to get, there's plenty of scripture tells us that, you know, the parable of, of the seed and the worries and the frustrations of the world, they, they wrap around you and stop your growth. The world will s- stagnate you. Do not be conformed to it, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the thing is, because our mind's not that reliable, Some are very smart and some are not very smart. But even the smart ones may not be able to rely on their thinking because smart thinking hasn't got all the answers because smart thinking is not necessarily spiritual thinking. It's just smart thinking. And some people with a lot of smart thinking get stuck in the same trap because you know what the world does. It says we're smart thinkers. And we're smart thinkers that you need to do what we tell you to do because we're so smart, we know better than you. It doesn't make them spiritual doesn't mean to say they understand anything to do with what God's plan is. So that's why it says, don't be conformed to that pattern. Be transformed. Let your mind change and test it. Test what's going on. Test what's really going on in your world. Test it. And then you'll discern God's will, what's pleasing and perfect. You know what's interesting? That after Romans 12, 1 and 2, it goes straight into have an honest evaluation of yourself. You see, the trouble is we think too highly of ourselves because we have spiritual activity going on, which may not be really transformative. It may just be 
repetitive. It may just be a habit. It may just be, not that it's a bad habit, but it may not be the best thing. And so transformation is important. Have an honest evaluation of yourselves, measuring ourselves by the faith that God has given us. So is faith really operating in the process of your thinking? Or is it just your thinking? What's going on in, in your thinking? Now, what is even more extraordinary is that Romans 12, once you go beyond having an honest evaluation, Romans 12 takes you straight in to the grace gifts. In fact, having an honest evaluation and being transformed leads you into the potential of having God's grace gifts operate fully in your lives. And those grace gifts are prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, kindness. Let me tell you, the world has a complete mirror of those things in its own definition. And you can live by a worldly definition of those things and not by a spiritual definition of those things. Because the world will copy things that are true. The world will try and mimic it. But transformation, if it happens on the inside, you'll know about it. Because your faith is tested and you'll understand and you'll start operating in these grace gifts from God. It needs our response. Now for some fun. Many, many years ago, my first job, I got sick and tired of school. Uh, did my sixth form and I thought, no degree just yet. And I ended up working with a company called De Beers, the diamond monopolist. And uh, worked for CSO up in London, which is where all the diamonds went. Um, so I've got a kind of soft spot for this diamond conversation. And you saw from our graphics that transformation, we've related this picture of diamonds being transformed. And we know that diamonds are, are formed way below the earth, 150 kilometers. Did you know that? Underneath. How do they come out? They come out because the earth crust moves. And as the earth crust moves, the, the volcanic movement of rock, the molten rock comes up and it comes out as kimberlite. And diamonds are found pretty much always in kimberlite. And kimberlite, in fact, it's named after a place in South Africa. Hands up all the South Africans. Good to see you. Um, Kimberlite, you know Kimberley, the town? Well, there's a huge mine there. And Kimberlite is the substance that they find diamonds in so often. And in South Africa, in the Cullinan mine, back at the turn of the last century, before 1905, just before, they found the largest gem quality rough diamond in the world, ever mined, 3,106 carats. And it was ultimately given to Edward VII as a gift from the diamond guys in 1907. What do you do with a whopping great big chunk of crystallized carbon that's worth a fortune? What do you do with it? Well, transformation, a bit like with us, you know, transformation happens. The diamonds are formed under great pressure and lots of heat. And then they have to move their way to the surface and then someone finds them. They found this whopping great big monster and then they've got to do something with it. You don't get a ring with that size gem on it because it's full of cracks and the crystal's structure needs to be worked on. So you have to split it. And often diamonds are split. And a lot of that splitting happens in Antwerp. And that's what happened to this diamond. It got sent to Antwerp. And it got split into nine major and 96 minor gems. Amazing. Cullinan, and they're the pictures of the nine big ones underneath. Interesting, you know, just an anecdotal story here. When I used to work with De Beers in London, um, on Saturday, sometimes the large gem guys would come in. They'd sort these rough diamonds. They were looking for the potential. They were looking for the clarity and the color and the carrots. I still remember the old language. And, um, and they would sort them. But they got bored. And because it was a Saturday, they, they'd come in. They're very relaxed. Even though there was security everywhere, they, they always, their real preference was to play football. And you know what? The only thing they could find was diamonds. And um, they used to play football with diamonds. Let me tell you, 
big old beasts, big diamonds. They'd have goalkeepers and they'd set the chairs up. And, they'd, and it's, you'd think, oh, what about the damage? You're talking about the hardest substance known to man. This is so hard, you can't just break it. You, they use diamond for cutting and industry and all sorts of things. You have to cut a diamond with a diamond. And, and so I used to think, wow, these are worth millions of pounds. How could you play football with it? But of course, nothing's going to happen to them. And, um, and it's a bit like that with us, you know, sometimes we're a bit too fragile. We, we think, you know, we, in our fragility, we feel like we're going to break sometimes in our faith. But when God transforms us on the inside, it makes you strong. The potential gets put in there. He strengthens you. You're not just going to break. You may feel like you're going to break, but you're not going to break because God's in you, strengthening you on the inside. That's why transformation needs to happen inside. It's not about you changing everybody else or everything else. It's about you being willing to be vulnerable, to be like that first day you came to faith. Okay, God, if you're really there, I'm here. I'm yours. That's what you did, didn't you? That's what I did. It was, this is who I am. I give you everything I am. I don't, I'm not going to just dip my finger in what's God taste like. I'm going to give myself to you. That's what happened when I came to faith. And that's what transformation needs. It needs that vulnerability, that, that kind of open heart, that gentleness, that authenticity that, that God wants you not to hide away because you don't want to get broken or damaged. And people go through life hardening up on the exterior because they're worried about being broken. And actually, God says, I want to strengthen you on the inside. My whole purpose of transformation is to give you strength like this on the inside. John Altberg says this, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. It's true, isn't it? We, we try and be smart. Smartness doesn't get you there. It's about being wise and realizing that the Bible is the source of transformation. Jesus Christ is the source of transformation. The Word of God is our source. The Holy Spirit is our source. God is, God is wanting to breathe transformation through us individually and the church. 2020 and this whole decade could be a year of total transformation for your life. Stop trying, trying to be someone who, who manages everything else that's on the outside and be vulnerable on the inside to allow God to strengthen you, a bit like that diamond. Transformation, another principle, transformation impacts everybody. Peter was an ordinary fisherman. Peter, an ordinary fisherman. Um, and it's interesting that his life transformed people. And we'll read about that in a moment. But I just was thinking about his life this week and thinking of some of the phases he went through in his personal transformation. He discovered Christ as an ordinary working teenager or someone in their early 20s perhaps. Um, Matthew 4.18 is the reference for that. He discovered Christ. Actually, Christ found him and said, follow me. And that's a bit like our first day of salvation. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so Peter laid down his nets and followed. Too many of us don't want to follow. We just want to protect ourselves. We want to build something that stops us getting hurt. So Christ actually called him. And that's the principles of faith, that Christ is the one who calls you. And me, you're called by God himself. He, a preacher may invite you to respond to the gospel, but it's Jesus Christ himself who's calling you. By his spirit, he's calling you. So Peter discovered Christ. And as he got to know him, he really started to love him. And many things happened. 
And there's a moment when he defended Christ. Do you remember at Gethsemane where he pulled the sword out and slashed the ear of the, the soldier? John 18, 10. He defended Christ. It was not easy for Peter because he was just a human being, just like you and me, struggling with his struggles. So much so that, in fact, he denied Christ. It's all part of his formation. And maybe you've been in a situation where you've really messed up. Peter messed up three times. He denied Christ, the one he defended just hours earlier, three times. And Jesus told him he was going to do it. He still did it. That's like you and me, isn't it? We do something wrong. We know we've done it wrong. We do it again. We do it again the second time. We know we've done it wrong. And we do it the third time. We do it wrong. We just we don't get it right. We, so often we get it wrong. He denied Christ. So his journey of transformation was discovery, learning and defending who Jesus is, understanding more about him. But denying is that truly part of transformation? Because God knows that you will fail. God knows you will fail. Because you're human. And there are people in this room who have failed. But God loves you. You failed because you did what you said you wouldn't do. You did what you didn't want to do. You did it and you don't know why you did it. You just did it. Maybe it was out of fear like Peter. But you will fail. But in the failure is the place of transformation. Peter. Peter had to go through that. Do you remember the time where Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan? <laughs> Who to? Yeah. Peter. I'm telling you, we are not smart as we think. We fail, but God has a way of restoring us through transformation. But ultimately, what did Peter do? He demonstrated Christ. God brought him to a, a stronger journey of transformation. And he's in heaven now. But he demonstrated Christ in power. We read Acts 2, 14 to 41. It's the incredible speech that Peter made in front of the crowds after Pentecost because the transformation requires the Holy Spirit to be in us. And Peter encountered the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the power of God surged through Peter's life and he allowed that vulnerability, that authenticity, that, that whatever it takes God to be what his experience was. And he just took all his fear and pushed it behind him, all his mistakes and pushed them behind him. He said, I'm going to push on. And God did something amazing. And he's preached to this huge crowd of people in Jerusalem for the Passover. And this is what he said. See, transformation impacts everyone. It says in verse 36 of Acts 2, so let everyone, there you go. Transformation affects everyone. Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Saviour. Sometimes we want Jesus just to be Jesus. God just to be God out there. But he's Lord. He wants to be Lord and Saviour. He wants to get us through the tough stuff. And he wants to be your God. He wants to be the one you've worshipped. The one you put as your priority. This Jesus who you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37. Peter's words pierce their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? vulnerability suddenly hits the crowd. Jumping down to verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptised and added to the church that day, about 3,000, probably the men. So a lot of people were transformed because Peter was transformed. 
What's your journey been like? You've discovered Christ. You know, you've defended Christ. You may have even denied Christ. God wants to take you right through to bring in an impact because you are impacted, transformed on the inside to reveal what God is doing in you. And he will do amazing things to other people. You know, this week, ironically, this is never part of the plan. I went to the Tower of London during the Christmas week or New Year week, I guess. Um, ended up in the Tower of London. Haven't been there for years. And uh, I was really looking forward to seeing the crown jewels. And I found myself quite riveted by it, I guess because of where I used to work years ago. And, um, and as I got close to the conveyor belt that runs past the crown jewels, I'm thinking, where's the queen's crown? Where's the queen? And she's in a, that one's in a separate box. And everyone's like, crowding around it. But the, um, the sovereign scepter has got the first cut of the Cullinan rough diamond was polished and put inside the, the scepter, the sovereign scepter. It's the world's largest clear-cut diamond, 530 carats. There's nothing on the planet close to it. They, worth, they think it's worth over 400 million pounds. It's in a stick. Well, it's a gold stick with a few other jewels on it. But you see, even that thing that was formed under all that pressure coming up through its kimberlite had to be changed even further. It wasn't enough for it to come out of the earth. It still needed work on it to polish it up, to clean it up, to turn it into something that's beautiful. And actually it becomes something that a king would carry. Can you hear what I'm saying? Are you something that the king would carry? Your life is created to be something that the king will carry. Can you see that? That's what he's made you to be. And look at this crown, a most amazing crown, our imperial state crown. The second largest diamond is on the front of that crown. It's incredible. In fact, they put the sapphire that used to be on the front around the back. I mean, who's choosing, eh? <laughs> but um, incredible, that crown. You see, once it's polished up and the thousands of tons of you know, rubbish that has to be mined through to get to a, a rough. And then these, you know, it took them, they estimate four days just to cut, to cleave the first diamond out of that original rough. There's a process, you see. And for you and I, you may have got stuck somewhere. Maybe you're stuck in the kimberlite. Maybe you're stuck in the rubble. But God wants to position you for his purpose. And look what happened to Peter, transforming the lives of so many others. The important thing is, the transformation has to happen in us. God's transformation happens in us. And as we are transformed, everybody is transformed. There isn't anybody that's not touched by a transformed life. Nobody. Your husband, your wife, your boss, the people you work with, your kids, the people you meet in the street, the person you've never met before. You walk into them and something of God's glory in the king's hand radiates into someone's life and they're captivated by something they don't understand. You've just found a rough and you may be part of the process of transformation. And God has done that for you and for me. You know, I'm just going to finish now and we're going to have communion in a moment. Someone once said, 
The same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, your future. He's still in the miracle working business. And his business is the business of transformation. Roll on 2020. I'm telling you, roll on 2020. God has put in you something that He will perfect in you. But let Him work in you to work through you. Give up trying to change everything else around you for the time. Focus on letting Him work on us. And if we allow Him to. And as I said at the beginning of this message, this series is going to be practical. It's about how can we let God change the way we think in different areas. It's exciting, isn't it? It's brilliant. Well, we're going to stand now. We're going to go straight to communion. So I'm going to, uh, when you stand, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. Maybe this morning, you know there's transformation work to be done, just like I know there is in me. And maybe you, like me, know that a bit of vulnerability, a bit of relaxing on God's presence and just trusting God to guide will polish things up a little bit and reset things where they need to be reset. And maybe that's you today. I'm, I'm just going to pray. If you want to respond, you can, you can do what you like. You can say, yeah, that's me, Lord. You can pray with me. You can raise your hands if you want to. I want you to acknowledge in your own heart that I'm the one that needs to be transformed. It's me that needs to be transformed. So Father, as we stand here, we are saying that we are the ones who need to be transformed. Thank you, God, that you are, you designed us for transformation. And that God, this year, 2020 and beyond, Lord, may it be the most amazing year. Lord, may it be a year that we discover what it is to be transformed on our inside. But God, we want to see transformation of lives. Lord God, we want to see many lives transformed. We want to see people encounter you, to discover you, to trust you and be part of their process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.